Welcome back to the next episode of the Act for Change Together podcast series. In this podcast, we will be discussing the mental health of young people, as we are aiming to challenge the assumption that the mental health of young people is a priority within education, as we believe that the mental health of young people is not treated as though it is a priority. If this is triggering for you, please feel free to skip to the next episode. Hi, I'm Libby, a wellbeing ambassador from Newport Mind. Hello, I'm Ben. I'm also a wellbeing ambassador at Newport Mind. Hi, my name's Amy and I am a project worker for the children and young people's team at Newport Mind. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm also a wellbeing ambassador at Newport Mind. We are volunteers at Newport Mind who aim to support other young people with their mental health within Newport. We wanted to do this podcast to open up a discussion about young people and mental health and shed light on the change that needs to be made. Our assumption that we are addressing is that the mental health of young people is a priority within education. And as wellbeing ambassadors, we're here to address this and disagree because we believe that it isn't prioritised. Amy, would you like to tell us a bit about the project that you work on? I work on the whole school approach project. Um, During the past year, because of COVID, we've been doing a lot of one-to-one work, supporting young people who've been struggling a bit more than normal. Um, But prior to that, a lot of the work we did in schools was about uh, some one-to-one work supporting young people, but also being available for for staff, uh, because there's a lot of pressure on staff. It's a difficult job. Um, We'd also provide training for staff, um, information sessions and sort of training sessions for parents, and also stuff like resilience workshops for the young people. So we had kind of a barrage of approaches and interventions that we would do uh, dependent on the need of the school and what they were struggling with um, in particular. Okay, so our first question that we wanted to ask you was, do you believe that the mental health of young people is a priority in schools? And what makes you believe this? It is a really difficult question, I think, and a very insightful one to be asking. Um, I do love sitting on the fence, (laughs) but I I think what I'm going to say, I'm going to try and kind of explain why I understand both sides. um, And and then we'll see if it kind of if we lean one way or another. I think that it's different in each school. There are different ethoses, cultures, things that people are trying to focus on in different schools because they have different needs, they have working with different communities. I do feel that on a governmental level, that mental health in schools is becoming far bigger part of the agenda. However, I think that the way that schools work, it doesn't really allow for mental health to actually take the centre stage that it maybe needs to. You know, teachers have got so much on their backs, so many, um, you know, people checking on grades and targets and things they have to achieve um, that actually a lot of managing that and keeping behaviour, which is a big thing, you know, teachers don't want to lose control, that keeping on top of a behavioural element sometimes can go against the mental health agenda of trying to listen to people, give them space, you know, if they need to um, to go for a breather, if they're feeling overwhelmed or if they're having a panic attack. Ideally, in the mental health world, we want to be able to give them that space and have the right resource for them. Unfortunately, I think that there isn't the level of understanding on those um, specific mental health issues that a lot of young people are dealing with at the moment. I don't know that schools have the 
financial capital to provide the spaces that we need to provide those um, resources and support for young people. Um, and I think sometimes schools, even though they know well-being is important, it's almost like um, well-being in a little pot. So we do well-being over there in that building on a Thursday or, or whatever, you know, um, compartmentalizing it slightly. And I think that for the whole school to feel like it is everybody's job to look after the mental health of young people takes a huge cultural shift and a lot of training. And I don't know that there has been the investment in that to enable that to happen as yet. So I kind of think that, that they know and they want mental health to be really important and at the center. However, I do think there are practicalities of education system at the moment that do get in the way. I, I totally agree. I think certain schools want it to be at the forefront, but either don't have the willpower or the motivation to just do it. I think some schools think it's too hard to do that. There's too many obstacles. Things like behavioural difficulties could be solved by treating someone's mental health as a priority. Behavioural difficulties in the classroom could probably be handled differently that could make a child happier or make their day better just by taking in account into account their mental health. There's a lot of tension there, I think, trying to kind of uh, balance the demands from outside of the school um, that actually, like, I don't know what the answer is, whether it's a totally different system with smaller class sizes and, and, and more staff so that it can be more reflexive. Um, I honestly don't know what the answer is, but I think that, that the underfunding of education is possibly one of the restrictive factors. Yeah, I think more systemic change maybe needs to happen because the whole sort of system isn't lending itself to mental health support. They're more prioritised and focusing on teaching people to do the basic skills and all those academic skills that actually, when people go out into the wider world, they're not prepared for the mental health struggles they might face and the, the life challenges because they're so focused on getting good grades in the English math science that actually those more enjoyable activities and especially things like music that are really beneficial for your mental health as well aren't focused on as much. You know, that isn't a school's decision to focus on subjects necessarily. That comes from on high. That is a governmental, you know, this is what we educate our children, this is how we do it. And schools are just trying to follow kind of the diktat, I suppose. Um, so you're absolutely right, systemic change is probably required. And obviously we do have the new curriculum that is about to come in. And I wonder how much flex that's going to give to mental health and well-being. You know, it seems to be embedded in one of those um, core areas. And obviously, actually, this is a really good time for change, because if we are all experimenting, I suppose, with how new curriculums could operate this is a perfect time to be asking whether it, it, mental health is as centre stage as it may need to be. It's something that's like, especially now, is so much more difficult to monitor. So obviously a whole school approach is happening in local schools in Newport and in person, like even lessons and sessions and the, the peer support stuff that uh, the volunteers do. Now that it's all online, 
you're not really seeing people's faces and you can't really tell. And that's a whole other factor that's making it so much more difficult for everyone because like obviously exams are cancelled and that's another priority, but mental health is almost becoming like an afterthought once again. There's definitely been an increase in the amount of one-to-one support that young people want and are searching for. Some local services are not coping with the volume that is coming through. And I think there is a lot, there are a lot of services that won't go into schools or are not allowed into schools during COVID, which puts even more pressure on the school because then external agencies, it's harder for them to take up some of that slack and help around around the edges. When you're doing a one-to-one, when you're supporting someone's mental health, it's that element of connection that you really need in order to do that work. And trying to get that over um, a Zoom call or on a telephone is so much harder than when you're in a room with someone face-to-face, even if you are two metres apart. So yeah, I think we've we've definitely landed in a very difficult spot where there's more need because of the things that people have been experiencing, but we've got less ability to provide that in some ways in, in a normal way and to the degree that it, it needs to be provided. Yeah, I think we've just lost the personal touch that school has. Because often people would rather speak to a teacher than a family member. And when you're at home and you're with your family all the time, you don't have the same connection and the same freedom to go and speak to a teacher. And I think that's why it's so difficult online. You just lose that personal aspect that the connection with the teacher in school you have. Yeah, I think they're all really valid points. And just so we have enough time to address the other questions, we can move on to... Our next question for you, which is that the majority of young people feel that mental health support is not accessible within education. What are your experiences of this? Um, I think it's very interesting, actually, because there was a, there was a report out recently. I can't think um, exactly where it came from. I think it was a Public Health Wales one um, that found that most young people um, who were experiencing difficulties with their mental health, it was a kind of reaction, I suppose, to what they'd experienced in lockdown and, and not being able to have that contact in school. <clears throat> However, I think it's also important to flag up that for some young people, school is the stressful environment. And, and there are a small pocket of young people who have blossomed being away from school because of some of the social pressures and the intensity of being in school can be really difficult for young people to manage. And I think that's one of the reasons I kind of feel that actually if we could have more staff, smaller classes or more areas that those people who feel more vulnerable in school are able to go to, um, that we'd be able to support and nourish different types of people with different reasons for struggling with their mental health and struggling to access school. So I think it's about trying to work out a system that kind of conflicts to different needs, essentially. I think our school ha- has support out there. There is there is a long waiting list, don't get me wrong, but there is support out there. But it does seem hidden. It does seem like you have to go through little paths and speak to a variety of people before you actually get there. It does seem like it's tucked away. It's not obvious. I know the room that um, has counselling in our school is hidden. It's There's no sign. There's no nothing. You either know that it's there or you don't, which is difficult for people if someone was in need of speaking to someone immediately they would have no clue where to go and I think it needs to be right there on a sign you go here and I feel like it's just not um yeah that's a it's a sad thing to hear 
that most people think it's not accessible, but I think that it's it's possibly true that it's very difficult to access these services. I mean, we've we try very hard to make our service to put it out there and to be accessible, but actually we know that we have a limited capacity. You know, we have a limited budget, therefore we have a limited capacity. And actually, if we advertise our service to everybody and we build up a massive waiting list that we then can't get through, that's a an ethical dilemma for us about how we manage that and who we prioritize. So in terms of our own project, we have been working mainly through the adults in the school who know about young people who perhaps have come to them, because as you mentioned earlier, Libby, um, often young people have those relationships with teachers because they've known them over years, they trust them. And so often if there is a mental health difficulty, they often feel more comfortable to approach a teacher they know. And then those adults can tend to to approach us. Um, I do know that some other local services providing one-to-one support have had to effectively close, close the waiting list. And so it would seem that there is not the capacity to provide the support that is required. I also think that sometimes well-being support and accessing it in schools is not always clear. Sometimes there are several different routes. You know, a school can be really um, proactive in getting in as many different projects and things in for well-being. But then you have a landscape which is very difficult to navigate for a young person because there's almost like a confusing array of things that are on offer. And how you access them all might be different in different projects. Um, Also, I know where we get our funding from is not continuous. So unfortunately, there will be, if there's people coming into schools from the third sector, there will be change of projects and rolling different projects. One year, they might be one thing. Another year, it might not be there and something else comes in. And so the changing landscape I think is a difficulty and an obstacle is I feel that that relationship, knowing your face, having met you around in different situations, making you very visible is a really important factor in making those mental health services available and accessible for young people where they know how to access you. They know what you look like. They know what to expect. And I think there's a lot more work we could do to make those systems simpler but again I think a lot of it comes down to funding and making sure that there are ring-fenced funds that can stabilize the projects on offer keep funding ones that are working you know maybe edit or update ones that need um that aren't working so well or um that maybe there is something new that's coming in evidence-based and want to give that a go, that's fine. But we need to we need to make the process very simple for young people where they maybe access at one point and they all know, and it's talked about often, where you go, what you do, how you kind of, how you get past the gate, I suppose, to access those services. Yeah, I totally agree. I think funding is kind of the biggest issue, I suppose that we're now discussing that we realize that funding rely you rely on funding for pretty much a lot of the mental health support that we receive in school that actually we need that funding and making it 
that accessibility that will then, if we have them both together, you could just have the, almost the perfect support system for young people. And I would say as well, like making sure that those support systems are built with and from the young people's perspective. So, you know, what young people are saying uh, is easiest for them, you know, let's build that system where the young person says, because I think so often still in education, there's a lot of talk about the importance of young people's voices and, and everything like that. But I, again, I feel that lagging behind slightly in some schools more than others is actually getting the young people to be involved in building these things and feeding into those projects so that they are young person friendly and informed not coming from the top down always yeah i agree i think the teachers that are most respected in school are the ones who open up the ones who are honest and they want to ask you how you are and they're honestly the most people the people who are most respected and who are most liked but just going back to a point that Meg made earlier, I think that schools are more reactive than um, preventative. I think at young ages, if you taught um, young, really young people about their mental health and how feeling happy and feeling sad, the highs and lows, they're going to speak about it to their friends. They're going to speak about it to their parents. And I think it just would make a more open generation, a more honest generation. I think schools just need to prevent issues went until they get really big when you're in high school and further on in education when they're harder to tackle um rather than just reacting to them when it's uncontrollable and it probably helped behavior issues as well in schools um children were more honest about how they feel because i know ben in, you said your school never taught about mental health never even spoke about it yeah so uh, when we were researching and planning this whole thing we, uh, well, I was sort of mentioning how in my old school, I, I left in 2018, but I, I don't remember any mention of it, like mental health as a whole. Uh, there was like a, a careers counsellor. I couldn't tell you if they were also like responsible for like mental health counselling or any other sort of counselling, which, and they were also in like a tiny room that no one could really see. Um, and yeah, and it was it was more of a thing where I sort of, learned of my own mental health because of my mental health, not because I was told about it. And in college, it was sort of the same. They, they were much better for it, but the sort of mental health block that they, or the rooms that they have, they, there's a lot of stigma surrounding those rooms. Cause I, I, I went to them once and it wasn't the greatest, whether it was because it was stigmatized or because it was such an afterthought once again, it's, it's difficult to say. So I think it's definitely, uh, sort of geographical thing as well where it's better in some areas than others. I'm not really sure that there's a unified approach in accessing interventions across Wales. Um, I think it will also write what you said about stigma. I think it's a funny thing because often when people do come for one-to-one -one support they're feeling vulnerable and they don't want loads of people watching them going into that space where they're going to offload or like, uh, you know, they don't always want lots of questions. So I kind of underneath understand the need for privacy rather than secrecy. Um, and I think for some people it is accessing mental health support. It's a barrier to overcome the fear that someone else is going to 
uh, you know, discriminate against them, to say things, you know, that 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 stigma is is a real, very real barrier for a lot of young people because um, they just want to fit in. They just want to be, uh, you know, as everyone else is and that they sometimes perceive everyone else to be having having good mental health and not not struggling or not having a difficulty and I think if we want to get to the point where we've got we're able to signpost and say this is where you come for your well-being and your mental health and all those things and for people not to feel shame walking into those areas then we really do have to tackle that stigma and where it comes from and I think what is particularly difficult is often in youth culture and I don't know how you guys feel about this there it feels to me like there's a lot of kind of jostling for jostling for position for hierarchy and you mustn't show vulnerability because a chink in the armor is going to leave you vulnerable and someone's going to say something and um it can be it seems to me quite quite a difficult world to operate in and, and that puts young people in a difficult position of perhaps knowing they need to reach out for some support but actually is that going to make my life worse when people find out and I do not know how we get to the point where we've got a supportive peer group overall you know is it is it part education is it part teaching people about this like I think it's a very difficult question how you get to the point of having a you know a really supportive peer group in terms of mental health and well-being and yeah i think maybe tackling it from that younger age when they're not they're not looking to compete as much that sort of primary school age it can then grow up with them knowing not to judge and not to assume things that they just think oh well everyone's mental health is a priority and everyone's mental health is important and we all suffer that just as you go to the hospital when you've broken your leg you go to that room in school when you're suffering with your mental health and they're treated as the same thing as they should be. I also wonder if role models play a big part here of like there being constant reminders of people who are really uh, respected by young people, but who have um, are very honest about the, the highs and the lows that they've experienced. And I also think that staff in schools I would love to see staff opening up about their mental health because I also feel there is a little bit that they don't want to lose control or show vulnerability because of this whole keeping control issue and that actually maybe if they are able to stand there and go yeah this this happened to me and this is what I went through and this is why it's important for us to talk about these things that maybe that ability to show vulnerability will teach our young people at all different ages that that is that is what we do and that is how we cope um, by talking about these things it makes me think of the chicken and egg thing where does it all start <clears throat> you know you track it back into primary school actually coming at it again from a whole school approach angle we really need to embrace parents from the word go like in my experience as a parent you get antenatal classes which is all about the birth and then you don't really get anything after that. You've, you've got your baby, you go home if you're lucky and, um, you know, off you go. Kind of good luck. Um, but actually, I think parents would really benefit from pe like early doors parenting classes, 
so that they have the space like that everybody had them so it wasn't like oh gosh we've been sent to parenting class we're doing something wrong but actually everybody was given those spaces to talk about the difficulties because there are the challenges right the way through with raising a child and I think if parents are supported very early to have a really proactive um, positive approach to managing behavior encouraging the behavior they want to see and all those sorts of things and building that relationship with their child or the young person to feeding into the self-esteem that the young person's got that by the time we then get them into school you've got a fairly good base from which to go on in school and then if we've got a mental health system in primary schools that scoops that up educates the, the young people and actually continues to educate the parents on the issues that their child might be facing and they as parents might be facing at that stage you know I think if we've got a really good parenting support program alongside a really good program in schools then actually that's got to be that's got to be the way that actually it works best so I, I really feel like if we could properly in, uh, embrace what a whole school approach to mental health is which is about that young person, but the school and the parents working together to support and grow that young person, then, you know, we'd be laughing. If we can nail that, we'll be laughing. Again, probably comes down to how much money we've got to provide those resources uh, on such a large scale. Yeah, and I think you've answered, in answering that question, you've also addressed our final question, which was, if you had all the resources in the world, what would you do? I think it's making sure that everybody has access. This is this is not a situation where you only get a resource if you've dropped to the bottom and your child is having problems or whatever. Like it's about taking the stigma out by making it universal and applying to everybody. And I think if we took a universal approach from the minute babies are born, then we take that stigma out because no one's being handled any differently. We're all being given these lessons. We're all being given these um, chances to reflect, to, to learn about, you know, I think even, even me at this stage of my life and in my career, I'm still learning so much about the basics of, of how we look after ourselves and why these things work. You know, why walking works, why talking works, why eating healthily helps. You know, the sort of like universal truths we sort of all know, but we don't always know why. That yeah, that's definitely what I do support the parents, support the school, and then that young person themselves probably needs less support. Thank you for joining us, Amy. Um, your opinion's been really helpful and really insightful. We're really grateful to have you here. It's a pleasure to be involved. Thank you very much. Um, so following on from Amy's responses, we thought it'd be a good idea to ask a teacher within the local area their opinion on the questions. So the first question we asked was, do you believe that the mental health of young people is a priority within schools? And what makes you believe this? And their response was, the teachers, heads of year, teaching assistants and senior leadership team, yes, without a doubt. For me personally, yes, without a doubt. Young people's mental health is so important and is at the forefront of most teachers' minds. However, whether we have enough funding or resources to properly support and improve young people's mental health is a totally separate issue. There needs to be a huge amount more money invested by government to allow schools to have the proper 
thorough resources and strategies to improve mental health in young people. We do the absolute best we can with the little we have, but in my opinion, it's not enough. That really does link in with what we have been talking about and what Amy has talked about with a distinct lack of resources and funding. So, I mean, if the teachers believe that as well, then what does that say? Uh, the next question we asked was the majority of young people feel that mental health support is not accessible within education. So uh, they responded, I can totally see where they're coming from. There is not enough money invested in education and it must be a focus for future governments. And the final question was, if you had all of the resources in the world, what would you do? And they replied, they replied, oh, my goodness, what a question. I would love to have a whole unit staffed by professionals dedicated to mental health in every school. This could include educational psychologists, trained counsellors, basically a whole team of people ready to support. I would want all form tutors to have one free per week dedicated to mentoring their tutor group students, meeting up with the most vulnerable more regularly, but having the opportunity to check in with everyone. I would want outside inspirational speakers to come in and talk to focus groups, but also whole year groups about mental health and the importance of raising awareness. The more we talk about it, the better. There is a mental health activist uh, called Ben West, who uh, is fighting for mental health to be included in teacher training and university league tables. He's mainly just fighting to discuss uh, mental health as a whole within education. Throughout school and college, I have only known one had some form of mental health training. I know so many teachers who are trained in first aid, that there's so many, and I know who's got first aid training, and yet you wouldn't have this, that same treatment for mental health support. It's just not balanced between your mental health and your physical health. There's, there's a demand for mental health support in schools, but there's not enough supply. And that's what we're here to talk about, open discussions about. It's such a big issue because there's a statistic here that says one in six children aged five to 16 are likely to have a mental health problem. So it just shows that it's necessary to have people around who know how to help people, know how to provide support. It's just needed. I think it's so necessary. And there's so many resources out there, um, like the whole school approach or other organisations that do provide training. And thank you to any professionals listening um, for wanting to hear what we have to say. Um, We just want to let you know that we think it's so important that you go out and educate yourselves and educate other people um, so we can include mental health education within schools um, or whatever professional job you do, whether that is GPs or nurses or doctors. Um, It's really important anywhere. So thank you. And to any young people, uh, students, uh, what have you, uh, that are listening, you can also make a change as well. Us, the Wellbeing Ambassadors, we do social action training and uh, fundraising and all sorts of different funding bids. So you're not alone. You can do this as well. It's not just an exclusive professional governmental thing. You have the power to change as well. Yes, thank you everyone for listening and we just want this podcast episode to just open up those discussions on mental health and the importance of it and how it should be prioritised. 
and you can carry on this discussion on our social medias at Newport Mind. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to Livy, Ben and Megan. Thank you. <laughs>